Well, welcome everybody to the One Step Closer podcast. This is Todd Nielsen, and today we're privileged to have a special guest with us, Jeremy Normington Slay. He is a follower of Christ. He is an awesome dad. He's also uh, the CEO of a local hospital, and we are very much looking forward to that conversation. Hey, Jeremy, it's so good to have you. Thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me, Todd. Yes, we are lo- we've are we been looking forward to this time. I'm also here with Spencer Eller, who is our sound engineer. Hey, hey. hey Spencer. And uh, today we want, we just want to take some time to, to get into who is Jeremy Normington Slay. And uh, Jeremy, you've been a part of our church family at the chapel, uh, and you'll give us a little bit more of your history in just a few moments. But maybe to get started, just tell us about... Uh, when you're not running a hospital uh, or running your kids to some of their events, uh, what what are some of your enjoyments? What are some of your hobbies? You know, you, you hit it on the head a little bit. I, I love my job. I love my kids. I love my family. And and I jokingly say when I get asked this question, it might be easier to tell you what I don't like. And mm-hmm. that list can be pretty small. So, it, you know, when I think about this, I think what I love is I love people. And so if something interests you greatly, and if it's a little unusual, I want to know all about that. If, uh, if, if there's something I see, uh, in an individual that strikes me as unique or special or anything along those lines, I want to learn more. If somebody says something, I want to know why. Uh, and so I could easily tell you that, you know, I I like to play golf. I like, I played college basketball and soccer. Those are fun, fun things. Um, I love, I'm, I spend a lot of time at the sports fields, as you can imagine, a lot of time at school functions, but those things don't really, I don't think they define me as much as, uh, being a lover of people. So I'm in a people profession, I'm in a healing profession. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think obviously that ties in with my faith, but if you ask me what my hobby is, I think that's my new answer is my hobby is people. I love people. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, as part of our, our podcast, we always like to, uh, kind of look into some H's of your life, your history. So we'd love to hear about that. We'll also talk about maybe some hurdles, some some hardships, some things that uh, you've been through, maybe that have helped shape your life. And we also want to hear what's on the horizon, you know, for you, for uh, the, your organization that you get to lead. Uh, but let's start with your history. Just give us a little bit of background. So I was I was born uh, the son of a preacher man. Mm. Um, although I can't sing the song, I'll save your listeners from that. <laughs> uh, so I was born in Texas uh, to a really good man who was married to a, a really awesome woman. Uh, unfortunately, they were separated at a, at a fairly uh, young age, and so uh, my mom moved back up to Wisconsin. Uh, both my parents uh, were remarried, but I spent the majority of my growing up life uh, in Wisconsin and. I think it was, I'd call Wisconsin home. If there's mm-hmm. a, if I can give air quotes uh, on the podcast, I'd, I'd call Wisconsin home um, and spent uh, the better portion of my 45 years on this earth uh, in Wisconsin. Um, went to school in Wisconsin, uh, graduated with a physical therapy degree, uh, ended up with a doctorate in physical therapy, moved around a little bit. Uh, one thing led to another. I'm running a hospital. Don't know how that happened, but it did. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I bounced around quite a bit in, um, in Wisconsin before, uh, coming to Ohio, but I, I tell people that I really uh, prepared my whole career. And I think God prepared me, uh, throughout my adult life, uh, for this opportunity in Sandusky. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm here and I'm 
doing what I was uh, trained to do, kind of, in healthcare. I just yeah. moved to the management side. And so, yeah, that's my story. That's awesome. So within that, yeah, tell us a little, introduce your family. Tell us, a, because you've got a bunch of kids and an awesome wife. Tell us more. I do. I, I mean, I, I actually have the best wife in the world. I don't know if you guys <laughs> knew that, um, but it's true. It's been studied. I've done studies. <laughs> uh, she's the best wife for me. So that's Abigail. I met her when I was working in an emergency room. She's a nurse, uh, very compassionate, beautiful, loving, caring, uh, really balances me well uh, how you know how we fit together but uh, she's my best friend we have, mm. a, we have a blast together maybe second on my list of hobbies is just hanging out with my wife so while i love people a lot of times people who love people in those social extroverts really want to be in large groups of people but uh, so many times my wife and i just love being together one-on-one whether yeah. it's taking a trip going out to dinner going on a walk um, i just love being with her so that's abigail yeah. Uh, she has given me, blessed me with five uh, beautiful children as well. Uh, Jonathan is a uh, sophomore. He's uh, the mini me. Uh, almost everything uh, good and bad of my youth uh, he handles. Uh, super compassionate kid, though, and uh, I love him to death. And, and right below him is Noah, who's a freshman, uh, who is as tall as me. He's my tallest child. Uh, super smart, uh, fun guy. And uh, he, he might be the one uh, kid that I can get onto the golf course uh, regularly. Uh, Mike is my beautiful daughter. So she's right in the middle of all these boys. She's a seventh grader uh, and uh, sweet as pie. And then uh, on the tail end, I have Boaz, uh, who you've been talking about uh, a lot <laughs> lately uh, in church. And uh, my son, uh, uh, Titus. So, uh, five kids all together, four boys uh, and a girl. That's awesome. So I, I haven't been literally talking about his son, but um, <laughs> when this episode was aired, we have been in a series in the Book of Ruth, and Boaz is this incredible character. Yeah. Um, and boy, as we've studied that together as a church family, it's made me realize more and more why someone would choose to name their son Boaz. Yeah. Um, on the on the subject of names, Jeremy Normington Slay, mm-hmm. you have like a hyphenated dual. Well, tell tell me more. Well, so I apologize to my wife and children uh, for that, but the the reality is, uh, I told the story about my parents being separated and both remarried, mm-hmm. and um, I got two great dads. I got two great moms for that matter, but I got I got two great dads, mm-hmm. and so Lamar Slay is my biological father. Uh, John Normington is my stepdad, and uh, again, as I, as I got older, uh, well. In my early days, when I would visit Texas, I was Jeremy Slay, and when I was in Wisconsin, I was Jeremy Normington. And I think just as a tribute to both of them, when I became an adult, I chose to hyphenate that name. I mean, nobody likes divorce, right? Divorce is not a good thing. We don't, we don't necessarily honor that. But um, in my particular situation, I'm not sure it could have been much better. So, so um, a, a bad situation, but uh, both my sets of parents loved me unconditionally, mm-hmm. Again, both my dad's great guys, and so I honor them both with the uh, hyphenated name. It's really nice, though, for when you like go to a class list uh, and you're looking down a Word document. You just look for the longest name, hmm. and that's my and kid. And there you it's are. It's really easy. But there yeah, you are. I got two great dads. So we, before we get into maybe some hurdles that you face, uh, something that you said earlier, and I guess I'm particularly interested because, uh, well, I'm a pastor. I have pastor's kids. You grew up as a pastor's mm-hmm. kid as a as a son uh so tell me what were boy what what would you say to me or to others that might be listening uh that have a family member that's in full-time ministries say is serves as a pastor 
Um, what, what was good about that? What was hard about that? What, what advice would you give? Oh, uh, you know, I, you know, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever been, I usually just look at other PKs and lament like you're, you're, <laughs> you're a PK, me too. Um, so that's an interesting question. I think, um, I think there's a lot of cool things. I mean, there's tons of cool things, not, not least of which is the fact that I knew I had a, a parent that just invested in me spiritually. And there was never a question about what's the priority in our, in, in the house or in the family. So, I mean, that's, that's really cool. I was you know, fortunate that my stepdad was also an elder in the church. So I kind of had that both ways, but um, you know, I, I think at sometimes at some points, maybe we can underestimate um, and maybe I deal with this a little bit in my profession as well as a, a leader in the community, uh, how much pressure that puts on our kids. I think they're, they're always, uh, as a pastor's kid or or a child of an influential leader, mm. um, it's almost it's almost like their identity is wrapped up in a parent more so than even normal because everybody knows their parent, right? And so, you know, any anything, I, I, it just it makes that bar so high. I think at, at times, and and some kids rise to that, and it's great, and it pushes them, and and, and they excel. And uh, other kids that you know, it's just maybe expecting a little too much. So. Um, I think a recognition of that and a realization that all of our kids are unique individuals with unique talents and abilities and really spending the time to understand them and what's, you know, what are their struggles? What are their passions? But yeah, I think that, I think that bar can be pretty high when you're a preacher's kid for sure. Yeah. So, so just to be cautious about not inflating that or, or highlighting that so much so that, so that your own kids don't feel like they can ever live up. That's good. Absolutely. And I guess, yeah, in a lot of ways, I mean, what, when you're like you said, whether it's leading a church or an organization, anything where you're known in the community, um, so so you face probably some of those same feelings or oh yeah, yeah that's the CEO's kid or exactly yeah. exactly yeah. and a lot of preconceived notions come with that. Now you know I, I'm the kind of person that's never been a stranger. I'm an open book. You can ask me any question that you're willing to air on this podcast and I'll, and I'll answer it. But, uh, you know, the other six individuals in my family maybe don't have that. So, you know, you got to learn to learn to balance that. And, um, yeah, each one of those little kids is an individual and sometimes it's, it's great to have a dad who's got this type of job and sometimes it's, it can be a little challenging. Yeah. Tell me more about your job. Uh, CEO can, I suppose it can mean a myriad of different things depending on the organization. Um, Tell me a little bit about what's what's a normal week look like for you. Uh, so a normal week, you know, it's interesting. I send out a, an email every Friday uh, to all the associates across the health system. And it's something I've done, you know, for the last 15 years as, as my CEO career uh, has been ongoing. And uh, every once in a while, I take a screenshot of my calendar and I send it out. And there are times where I can have... Um, uh, especially when I was, uh, you know, a little younger in my, in my career, I would have uh, 90 to a hundred meeting blocks, uh, with something in them in a calendar week. Wow. And it's, uh, it can be almost, uh, overwhelming, uh, at times, but, um, variety is the spice of life. And so almost no two days on my schedule in any given week and maybe even in any given month uh, look alike. So I can go from meeting uh, one-on-one with an individual employee or, or patient or community member uh, to having a board uh, meeting with 40 board members to uh, speaking to a hundred plus leaders uh, to doing employee forums for, you know, 2,200 individuals. Uh, but when, when my kids ask me, you know, what do you do? Uh, I, I usually 
try and say, my job is to remove barriers to allow clinicians to practice medicine. And I mean, that's, that's kind of what I do. I'm there to serve. I am, I'm not generating revenue. I'm not making any money for the hospital. I don't get to bill for my services, so to speak. So my job is to, to help those folks who are doing that, who are really doing the healing, uh, the procedures, uh, the operations, whatever it might be, to help them do their job in the best way possible. And I do that often by trying to remove barriers to, to practice medicine. Yeah. Wow. That's great. And, and do you find, Jeremy, maybe give us a little window into your faith journey, because one of the things I'm wondering about is how uh, faith and science, faith and medicine, uh, faith and leading a, a large corporation, a, a hospital, how do you see those two things, you know, coming together? But yeah, give us a short story on kind of your own spiritual journey. Um, so so I'll take that in two ways. First of all, I'll say that um, uh, when I interviewed here uh, in Sandusky at Firelands, um, I let my board know, uh, I was very transparent, uh, that I, I think the best leadership book is a Bible. I, and, I, and, and that, if you want a leader who adheres to those types of principles and beliefs, I'm your guy. But certain cultures aren't that way. Um, and so, so on the, on the leadership side and how we conduct ourselves, I mean, there's no, there's no better book, uh, than the Bible. Um, you asked the question about how, how do science and, and, uh, and the Bible kind of work together. It's interesting. Our small group, we have a chapel small group. We just went through this question as one of our Sunday night uh, topics. And what we did is we really started with the fact that, uh, are we all on the same page, uh, that this Bible is God's completely, completely true and accurate word. Uh, in, in our small group, we had to decide that we all agreed that the Bible was God's perfect word. It's 100% accurate. It's 100% true. And if that's your basis, it answers a lot of the questions for you. But I would also say, I am someone who's not afraid to say, wow, there are just things outside of my comprehension. In my job, I'm rarely ever the smartest person on any particular uh, topic. I mean, I'm literally working with neurosurgeons, right? <laughs> so I, I'm rarely the smartest person. So for me to think and understand the fact that there's something I don't understand, but I still have to work with these, you know, circumstances is not abnormal. And, you know, I've always said if, if uh, God was big enough, it wasn't, was, was uh, small enough that we could be fully understanding him or putting him into these little in this little box that we can comprehend that he wouldn't be big enough for us to worship. So as long as we, as Christians, are stating that the Bible is the absolute uh, word of God, then I think that answers a lot. And if you come into account, if you come into an interaction with someone who's, who doesn't believe that, well, then you don't have to get mad at each other. It's just we're operating on different truths. And of course, we're going to come to different conclusions. So I will uh, put my money on the word of God. And uh, we, we may differ in some areas. But uh, I, you know, I think I think if you really um, look at a lot of those issues, there's a lot more areas for agreement than disagreement. And, and again, I think that foundation of what I base my information on is, is the word of God. And that, that kind of you know, takes a lot of the gray out of it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who specifically said it, but there's a quote that says something to the effect of uh, science is just man's attempt to discover all that God already knows. Mm -hmm. So that, we, so, so that we, don't, we don't have to be afraid of, science of uh, because it's going to point us to how actually God created and, and, and made us. Yeah. And uh, so do you, do you ever find, like you said before, um, obviously when you come at something with a, with a Christian worldview, 
you are coming with a certain set of understandings uh, and uh, f- uh, some philosophical differences, you know, mm-hmm. th- perhaps in someone else. And you said before, of course, people will come to then different conclusions about certain things. Do you ever find in, in then, you know, leading at the hospital, um, what, how do you handle when, say, your philosophical views and, and your values, um, do they come into conflict with, you know, perhaps someone else's or the way that somebody else wants to uh, move things forward? Or So it's a, it's a fair question. And, I mean, there are, there are, there are probably few, um, few beliefs that are so held fast um, that I would be asked to compromise those and sear my conscience in the course of my day-to-day um, life. There are certainly slants and bents where I may choose to push the conversation to a certain way or the decision-making. Um, but to um, to love people and care for people and, you know, um, I mean, that's actually what we do in healthcare. So do they call it uh, showing God's love to your fellow human being? No. But is, is that what we're doing? Absolutely. Is, is that my motive? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, and maybe that's healthcare. So we are non-for-profit. We're not creating shareholder wealth. We're not, um, you know, we're not in it to make money so that the owner gets rich, so to speak. We're really in our business to help other people. And so I think that is a great, um, a, a great cover for me as a Christian to say everything that Firelands wants to do I want to do because I'm a Christian and because I want people to have good health. Right. So, so, I mean, there, there's probably a lot more synergies and, you know, I'm trying to think of um, areas uh, where, you know, there may be um, compromises that I've been asked to take. And and fortunately, I mean, you know, I, you know, I I don't, uh, there might be events I don't participate in. There might be certain places I don't go there. I might put some hedges around me for protection, but by and large, it's a, it's a great profession to be in for a Christian. That's awesome. Well, and I I suppose when you, you know, like, like you had mentioned when you first came to Firelands and when you were interviewing, you were just very upfront about who you are, what kind of, what your values are. And so that's probably downsized the number of, uh, uh, you know, conflicts that, 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 that there could have been, um, cause there was already a, some level of understanding, um, coming in. Yeah. yeah. And I would also say, you know, the world loves to, um, kind of, you know, bash Christians and, and we've, and, you know, there's been instances there still are today where we don't do ourselves favorites as a, as an entire group. And, you know, of course, if you're a Christian, you say judge Christianity on Christ, not necessarily uh, each individual Christian. Um, but you know, I've, I've, I've met, I, I think, I don't know that I've met an employer or a businessman or woman who has said, man, someone with those Christian values and work ethic, man, I don't know if I want to hire someone like that. I mean, I think the world generally, uh, attributes the Christian principles to what a good and righteous, you know, what a good person should do. And so, uh, you know, I, I, w- I wouldn't know if every single one of my board members has saving uh, faith in Christ, but um, I think they recognized that, uh, you know, what they knew in their mind of what a Christian was, uh, was something that they felt comfortable having in their institution. And so um, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about um, some hurdles, uh, some hardships that that uh, you've been through and, and maybe how those have kind of 
shaped your life? Well, you know, it's interesting we call them hurdles because, you know, I've sat in a lot of junior high and, and varsity track meets this year. And I will just say, you are always uh, kind of somewhat holding your breath in the hurdles, right? Right? You know yes. why? Right? Because inevitably, you know, every track meet or two, someone is just going to take a digger and mm-hmm. just fly out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very sad. Um, I think my boys may chuckle. I never would, but it's, it's a sad occasion when that happens. Uh, but it almost always happens. So, uh, you know, we all, we do have hurdles. I think that if you ask me what my greatest hurdles were, um, I, I probably say, uh, my first year of marriage, um, mm-hmm. my wife and I moved away from our homes. We were both very close with our family, which I think some marriages, that's a, that's a great thing for my wife and I, I think we had some concerns about, how close we were and would we really be able to leave and cleave, um, on our own. And so, uh, we moved about six hours away from home and the first year was tough. I mean, we ended up with marriage counseling. Uh, we fought a lot. We, it was, it was just not the happiest of homes. Now, I mean, we had good times as well, but, uh, we really struggled. Um, and like I said, ultimately we, we got some counseling and we worked through it and, uh, I guess we made up enough to have five kids, so uh, it, it worked out. But that was a tough year. I mean, it really, it really was just trying to understand who is this person that that we believed God had brought us together uh, with, and you know how are we going to function in a new way as a as a combined unit. So that, that was a tough. I think I think the second uh, toughest, and the second one may actually be the toughest time in my uh, in my lifetime was when we were pregnant with our uh, son Titus. And, uh, you know, about the uh, 20th week of pregnancy, we went in for an ultrasound and, uh, the radiologist uh, said there was a, a birth defect, a, a cleft lip and, and palate. And, you know, that was enough to rock our world. We'd had three healthy kids before we didn't understand this, what causes it. So we get kind of uh, shipped down to the tertiary children's uh, center and continue on with our prenatal care. And, you know, it must've been about the 30th week. Um, and we were doing very regular ultrasounds about the 30th week. Um, the, uh, OBGYN group came in and said, well, it's, you know, we found a couple other things. It's not just the cleft lip and palate. There's a couple, uh, there's some things wrong with the intestines and his bottom. He might not have a bottom, a hole in his bottom. And, um, this looks like a, a syndrome and said they were, they were preparing us for that. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget. Um, we, we had found out the sex of the baby and I don't know why we had this need to know once we knew there was a cleft lip and palate, but my wife and I, we had this need to know we hadn't found out with our other children. And, um, so they, they put us in this room after this secondary diagnosis of this syndrome and all of these other things. And I, I might have my weeks wrong on how far along we were. Um, but the, they brought in a genetic uh, counselor. And, and I think we were told it was like a counselor or a social worker. And so we're prepared to have this conversation kind of like of coping and resources. And, uh, we were in a very liberal city at the time, uh, academic uh, medical center. And the counselor, uh, came in and started talking with us about our options in the pregnancy. And, um, you know, anything other than having this baby was so far off of our radar that I really couldn't comprehend what she was trying to tell us. And then ultimately it finally finally clicked like she's offering to terminate this pregnancy mm. and i just remember saying and i'm sure we're you know we're crying a lot on this day and i just said his name is titus like this is this is my son that's that's not an option and i i remember um leaving that hospital 
um, this would have been 2009, leaving that hospital and driving out of the parking ramp and calling, uh, I get choked up when I talk about it, but uh, calling my mom and just completely losing it. Like, I mean, I don't, I haven't cried many times in my adult life, but I just completely uh, lost it. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't really know why. I think it was just that, uh, that feeling of total lack of control. And I think the main thing was I couldn't uh, make my wife feel better. There's nothing I could do. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad there's, there's a, a but to this story. Um, as the weeks went on, I mean, we, we prayed a ton. Um, and, you know, everybody across the nation, it felt like it was praying for us. And when, when Titus came out, there was about 14 specialists in the room. And uh, I'm probably the only father who's said uh, when their child was born, um, does he have a bottom? Because <laughs> we had already met with the surgeon yeah. that was going to come and put in a colostomy bag. And then another you know, surgeon was going to have to open up a new rectum for him and all this thing. And, uh, and he had a bottom. And it turned out that after all of this, uh, all of these things going on, it was it went from being a cleft palate. What are we going to do? To it's just a cleft palate, and huh. yeah, he's had you know seven or eight surgeries and and all of that. But uh, I mean, he's doing great now. Smart, smart kid, and advanced math, and playing all the sports. And um, you know, it was just you know we 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 trusted the Lord that if if um, the, the Lord somebody told us. Uh, special kids and God, God picks special parents for special kids. So we were, we were prepared for that and willing to accept it. But, um, I just remember that phase working so hard to try and have faith that God, this is good and it's from you. And I don't really know how, but, um, I know you've chosen us for this, so it's going to work out for good. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I guess out of that, any other lessons that you've learned or, or, and you know, there could be somebody listening that they're facing some concerns with medical issues, um, with a child, with an unborn baby. Uh, yeah. What, what would you say to them? Uh, you know, for me, it's one of my favorite topics and I alluded to it a little bit earlier is like, yeah, God is completely sovereign. Um, but for whatever reason, we see a lot about man's responsibility in the Word of God, and so um, there are there are times uh, when we don't know why uh, something is going on. But you know what? We know that we know that God is good, and I know that that can be taken as a cliche. But in in the instance of our marriage, we had to to step out and reach out to someone to help us. I mean, we we did that. God was sovereign. God was, God 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 could have healed our healed our marriage just by. You know, snap of his finger, so to say. But but we, in that instance, we chose. We we reached out and and and, and initiated uh, some counseling. And um, with with Titus's birth, you know, we prayed harder than we've probably ever prayed in our in our life. And I, you know, to this day, I'll tell you, prayer works and it and it changes things. Uh, but that was an instance where it could have been like, you know, it, well, it was God is totally in control. I can't figure out a way to change this. So man's responsibility or our responsibility in that time was to praise him and, and worship him and, and uh, tell him what our heart's desires were. Uh, And in both situations, God was in complete control, but, but we as people of faith had, had responsibility in that too. And I don't know how those two perfectly intersect and, 
uh, and and come about in what we know as life. But I, I know that I know that we were called to act in a certain way as Christians, uh, and ultimately that interplayed with God's sovereignty. And so, for folks that are going through those trials, um, you know, God didn't wake up uh, one day and say, "Wow, you know." I didn't see that one coming. Jeremy has a really rough marriage, right? Or uh, gosh, you know, wow, Titus has a little bit of a a birth defect. That's a shocker. You know, God just doesn't say that. He knows everything. It's in his plan. Uh, And so knowing that, I I think, just gave us the the encouragement, the wherewithal, the ability to just move on and press on in the best way that we know. And, um, you know, ultimately God's will is going to prevail. Yeah. I love that. Just, yeah, so just leaning into God, trusting God. Um, but then the other thing that you said there that I think was so significant, uh, don't be afraid to ask for help or, or seek help or seek uh, further wisdom. I was thinking, I wanted to ask that earlier um, when you said, you know, you guys had had a struggle in that first year of marriage and, you know, I get a chance to perform weddings and uh, do some premarital counseling mm-hmm. Uh but w- when couples get into that first year, and oftentimes for couples, that first year, couple years mm-hmm. can be really hard. And there's a almost a a pride thing that can oftentimes keep people from asking for help. Like, gosh, if we're already struggling and we <laughs> let people know, what are they going to think about us? Are they going to think, well, gosh, they should have never got married or maybe even deep down inside we're thinking oh gosh should we did we make a mistake if we um and for somebody to overcome that and and say you know what we aren't doing the greatest I, we're, we're not living the dream honeymoon right now uh, we need some help that's that's a tough thing it is it is i mean humility and vulnerability in this day and age is just i mean i don't i don't know how People, if you're not willing to be real and authentic and vulnerable, you're just setting yourself up for a life of uh, higher than you can achieve expectations for more shallow relationships. Um, and again, I know it's it's not easy. It's not easy, but you're right. It, it's it, it's it is pride a lot of times and, and gets in the way. And right, I'm a preacher's kid. I shouldn't need help with my mm-hmm. marriage because all pastors have perfect marriages, right? And they, you know, it's just. And these expectations that we have um, can be challenging. And so, you know, I don't even know whose idea it was. I, I'm sure no, Abby and I was probably pretty joint, like, yeah, we need some help. We probably had a knockdown, drag out, you know, four-hour discussion. And it's like, yeah, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's someone, someone we could talk to. And yeah, you know, it worked for us. And, you know, I don't mean to make that sound easy. It's not. But, um, you know, I think the, the benefits uh, outweigh the risks for sure. So so you so you've got five kids, uh you're running a large organization, um, lots of meetings. Uh, how are you balancing all of that? And, you know, um, making sure that your marriage doesn't go back to a place where it's really hurting and yeah. um, or rocky. How, how are you balancing it all? So let me clarify, because I'm assuming my wife's going to listen to this. Uh, we have our days where it's sure. not always the most uh, fun. So I, I don't think, um, just to be clear, that the idea of a, of, a, of a great marriage is not one where you never have differences mm-hmm. or heated discussions, uh, shall we say. Um, so we still have our challenges. We still have to die to ourselves um, every day. Um, but I, 
you know, I, I have, um, I worked, uh, I, I grew up through a generation of, um, of, of work and leadership that's much different than, than we have now. And leaders used to get measured for better or worse and, and workers to some degree by how many hours you spent in the office. Um, and to the degree that now we have over 50% of physicians are telling their kids not to go into medicine. And I think you would find a scarily similar number of CEOs who would say the same thing. So very, very early on, I chose a path of uh, more um, rural facilities, not living the urban life. Um, I've, I've never had a, a, I think probably 90% of my commutes have been five miles or less um, spend as little time in the car as possible. And I realize some people need that time to unwind. I was fortunate to to not. But um, I, I read an article a few years ago written by a, a CEO, and the, the name of the article was Leave Loudly. And so in my mind, um, if I'm going to leave work at 4.30 to get to my kids' track meet, I'm not necessarily going to slink out the back door and hope nobody notices because as soon as I get, as soon as I get to the stadium, everybody knows who I am anyway. But I'm going to leave loudly and tell my leaders, especially those leaders with children that are still at home, uh, you're not getting these days back. So go out. And you know what? Our community, you're a leader at this hospital. Uh, our community needs to see you out in the organizations. Our, our community doesn't uh, give us any kudos if you work a 70-hour work week. And so I, have, I, have, I, I will say I have spent a lot of time working on being very, very efficient uh, at work. Um, to try and uh, maybe do what uh, do in a faster time what takes others uh, uh, more time because I do have so many demands outside of work. Um, but I also see it as part of my job is to be in the community, to be a good citizen and all of our leaders where we have a, we have community um, community service as a goal for our leaders at Firelands and um, you know I take that to heart. So if there's a night meeting, and it's uh, there's three of us that are executives at the hospital, and we're on that night meeting. We will have the conversation. Who needs to be there? Can one of us do this? Does anybody have any events that they need to get back to, or a spouse that they haven't spent enough time? And so I got a great group around me. Um, but uh, that balance is is so huge uh, because you know, again, I, I probably never stop. There's probably not a lot of time that goes by where I'm not thinking about something at work. And yes, I'm attached to the phone, so I'm checking emails at all hours. But um, there, you know, like I said, I've, n- I've never met uh, an octogenarian who says, I wish I would have just spent a little more time in the office. Mm. Never heard that. I don't think I'm ever going to, you know, it, no, you want to spend more time with your kids, with your grandkids, with your loved ones. And so um, I've, I've really tried to structure my leadership style towards that and use that as a, as a pro and not a con. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think you're, you're, you're attempting to do it a little differently than perhaps people in the past and perhaps people even right now that are listening and, and it's challenging uh, to think that way in a good, in a good way to say, man, I've got to do it differently. Um, I, I want my kids, my family to be a priority. And I know I see that uh, in you. I, I see you in the stands, mm-hmm. in the bleachers. Um, I see you at the concerts uh, and, and appreciate that. And I, I'm sure your kids and your family does as well. Yeah. And I, and I realize, well, that's easy for you to say you're the, you're the CEO, Jeremy, who's going to, who's going to get on your case. And so, I mean, I understand everybody doesn't have that luxury, but to not have the conversation because you think there's an expectation from your leader or your peer or your business. Um, you know, I'd encourage most people just have that conversation and you might be surprised at what you get. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so, uh, last, uh, 
H word horizon. What's on the horizon just for you, for you personally, uh, for your family, for, for, for Fireland's hospital. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's really cool being a, a part of Firelands. I, I'm in an organization that the, the brand equity of, of our hospital couldn't be higher. The, mm-hmm. the community really leaned on us uh, over this last year. And we took care of a lot of people. We saved a lot of lives. Uh, so my goal is to just keep doing a great job so that the board of directors keeps me around uh, until I retire. You know, I, if I never have to move again, that's my dream. My board knows that. Um, I want all my kids to graduate uh, here locally. Um, you know, that, that's you know, so, so personally, selfishly, uh, I want to be here. Uh, and how I do that is to lead the organization well. So, so Firelands is um, uh, a strong uh, community hospital in, uh, in a day and age where you know, many hospitals are getting swallowed up by systems. Uh, and I've worked with the systems, and they provide a lot of good, but uh, Firelands' clear goals and initiatives are to stay an independent, locally governed institution um, that is improving people's health. So I think you'll see in our future uh, more of a focus on um, outside of our walls. So many people refer to Firelands as FRMC, Firelands Regional Medical Center, right? And I'm, I am, it is my mission to change that. Uh, because I think that so limits. We're so much more than our medical center. We are a physician group of 50-plus uh, physicians. We are a community servant. We are, we're, frankly, we're a community asset. Anything that we own is owned by the community. So us thinking about how do we move health outside of the walls of the medical center? How do we keep people healthy? Instead of providing sick care, how do we provide well care and keeping people out of the hospital? What's the new business model that achieves that? Uh, we're building a new uh, building on uh, Columbus and Perkins. Uh, in the Perkins Township, and uh, much of that goal is to say we want to keep people healthy outside of hospital uh, admissions, and uh, the new facility should be able to do that. So uh, from from a personal life, I want to be here. Um, I want to continue coaching youth soccer. I want to get bleacher butt after four hours in a basketball gym. I want to watch my, ditter, my, my uh, daughter grow up and start dating when she's 28. Um, I want to... Uh, uh, you know, and enjoy everything that uh, Sandusky and the and the the entire region really has has to offer. Uh, and to do that, I, you know, I just need to. I'm in a bit of a challenging environment, but um, it's just it's a lot of fun uh, at work as well. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's my horizon. That's awesome. If there was a if there was one thing that you wanted to say to those that are listening, you know, our, the whole purpose of this podcast really is to help fulfill the mission that we have as a church, to, to help people move one step closer to God mm-hmm. and to each other through Christ. And uh, these conversations are opportunities for people to get to know another person that's part of their church family. Uh, and uh, you've, you've kind of let us in. You've opened the window um, into, into your life a little bit. And what would you want to say to those that are listening, to your other chapel family members, uh, that might be an encouragement or a challenge uh, to them. Oh, I, I think uh, you know maybe it's maybe it's come through in this podcast a little bit um, that I I uh, am a bit of an optimist. You know, I do uh, tend to look at uh, look for the silver linings. I mean, I, I'll just say I know everyone can't say this, but um, this last year, while mm-hmm. horrible in so many ways, as a parent of five kids ages ten to sixteen. I received a gift from the Lord that I will that, that no other generation will get almost a complete year without uh you know at least 6 months without any night 
activities other than your family of, you know, no compete. I mean, I know my kids so much better than I did last year and it's because of a national pandemic closed down everything. So we had to spend time together. And in this day and age, you know, so, so I know I'm, I'm digressing, but the, the reality is, is that, um, you know, I, I am somewhat of an optimist, but that again is grounded on my belief that God is really, really good and in full control. And mm-hmm. so, um, Chuck has a quote that uh, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. I fully believe that. And one of my favorite verses, in fact, this is, I don't know if you have a Facebook account. Um, I do. Uh, when, um, when I first put up my, uh, Facebook account, I put the verse Psalm 16, six, uh, as my, as my verse. So I've, I've got my Bible here and I just want to read a couple of uh, verses out of this. So this yeah. is Psalm 16. And, and so David is no stranger to challenges, right? Like David had his fair share and he had his fair share of sins and he had, you know, Saul trying to kill him and Nathan had to bust him out for like, you know, all the bad things that he did. So he, he had quite a few struggles and, and many commentators believe that this, uh, this psalm was actually written, you know, kind of during some of his trials, almost like he's trying to talk him into to some of these truths. So Psalm 16, uh, verse 1 begins, Keep me safe, O God, for you, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will pour out their libations of blood or take, I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. And so this is the, this is the verse that I love. Verse six, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delighted. I I have a delightful inheritance. So the, the verse, the way I learned it was the, the lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places. And it's kind of this, uh, discussion of like, you know, uh, life is good, but it's so much more than that because David realizes that those boundary lines of his life, the ins and outs of his circumstances, what has been given to him, even in all of his trials and tribulations, they're good because they're, they're from God. And we know that every good and perfect gift comes from God. We know that all things work together for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And so, you know, sometimes we, we fake it till we feel it, right? But ultimately, uh, God is love. He cares for us. He is He is good to us. And this life we have is good because it was created by Him. So that's that's my encouragement, is that wherever you are, the lines have, have still fallen to you in, in pleasant places. Wow. That's a good word, and I can tell you're a pastor's son. <laughs> but you know what, Jeremy? I, for one, am really grateful that... God has placed you, uh, not necessarily in a church as a pastor, but as just a follower of Jesus, uh, but leading an organization in in the community that can do so much good, um, and to know that it's being motivated and led by somebody that is being motivated and led uh, by Jesus. And so thank you for who you are. Thank you for the impact that you're making. We're so glad that you, you and your family are both a part of our chapel family, but also a part of this community and uh, making a difference, making an impact. And uh, it's been wonderful to have this conversation with you today. Thanks for having me, Todd. Thank you. Thank you.